Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy, and we are here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 190, and it is titled, Why People Quit Having Sex and How to Fix It. An extremely common problem that people have is when they first get together, they have lots of sex. All the chemicals are flowing, and they can't wait to rip each other's clothes off and have sex as frequently as possible. And then as time goes by, it gets less and less and less. Endless. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't have to. That's the point. Now, you and I, Celine, we have talked about this a lot. However, um, we have some guests today who have some more insight into this and how to fix it. They've written a book on it. Uh, Both Celine and I have read it, which is somewhat rare because they almost never send us books ahead of time enough for us to finish them before we do these (laughs) interviews. And in this case, they did. We had it far enough in advance that we both got to read it separately, and we're really excited to talk about it and to welcome them to the show. But first... Is it my cue to make the uh, little sponsor ad? Yes, it is. <laughs> so if you want to join the secret club of men who are great in bed, then check out Power and Mastery at powerandmastery.com. It is the most complete sexual mastery training for men. Whether you want to have harder erections, last longer, or increase your sexual skills, there is something for you at powerandmastery.com. Our guests today are John and Anna Man, I'm going to read their bios so you get to know them a little bit more. John David Mann is co-author of more than 30 books. That's a lot, including four New York, New York Times bestsellers and five national bestsellers. Well, congratulations, because it takes a lot of energy to write one book. So imagine 30. <laughs> <laughs> and his classic 2008 parable, The Go-Giver earned the 2017 Living New Book Awards Evergreen Medal for its contribution to positive global change. Ooh, wow. And Anna Gabrielle Mann, MA, earned her degree in clinical psychology before going on to serve as an educator, therapist, corporate trainer, speaker, and coach. She currently coaches Go-Giver Marriage clients and leads the Go-Giver Marriage Coaches Training Program, training coaches from around the globe. And they are both the authors of the Go-Giver Marriage. So welcome, John and Anna. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great introduction. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we'll start at the beginning of like, how did you end up writing a book on the go-giver marriage? Because you guys are married, you're together and it's like, okay, how do you get from there to writing a book? Yeah. And so, you know, the the conversation we're going to have today, obviously we'll talk a lot about your book, but it's not just about your book. However, <laughs> it's just interesting that you both have very different backgrounds. And so how the two of you came together to create this, I think is interesting. And I think the audience might enjoy as well. Yeah. It, well, you know, it's funny because we do have very different backgrounds and actually you can see that in the book itself because the book is split in half. There's two, two parts to it. And I, more or less wrote the first half and Anna more or less wrote the second half. It's really, it's, it's, it's my part and her part because we do have different skill sets and different backgrounds. Um, I, uh, she's the first reader of every book I write. And so I wrote this book that you mentioned, Celine, the go-giver back in 2008, actually we wrote it back in 2005. So 17 years ago when the manuscript for this book slid off my desktop printer and plopped on my desk, Anna picked it up and read it and said, whoa, this is awesome. This is really, this is a great book. This is going to go somewhere. Um, And this would make a great book about relationships. This would make a great book about marriage. And so we've had that idea for 17 years. It's taken until now for various circumstances, other books to write, other books in the Go-Giver series and things that had to happen. But her background is marriage therapy marriage counseling, family relationships. And and that's what she's been doing since the day she walked out of grad school. You know, my background is in in business and leadership and and writing about these things and memoirs and novels and so forth and all this writing. But we came together. This is our first book together. And, um, you know, we wanted to answer this question that friends of ours kept asking us, which was, "What, what is it with you guys? It's like, what's the deal? 
Um, well, we're going you to guys, get there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why? Why do you act like you know giggling teenagers? Why are you like like newlyweds? So this is this book is you know I call it our love letter to the world, and it's really our our two careers joined between the covers of a book. Right. So I have a follow up question to that, which is. So you, you, you came up with the idea basically 17 years ago, and you just wrote it now. And I'm really curious, uh, and maybe, Anna, you could answer this question, because you're the one that said this would make a really great book about marriage 17 years ago. So I'm curious, would you have written the same book 17 years ago that you wrote today? And, and if not, what has changed over that time? You know, I actually think we would have written the same book 17 years ago because um, when we first got together, John wanted to get married immediately. He was in that kiss of romance and he was like, we have to get married right now. I mean, it's what we have to do right now. And <laughs> I, I felt very strongly that um, you really have to hang out in a relationship for a good four or five years or longer um, because you don't know what so-called red flags are going to go down on the field. You know, how are you going to know who this person is if you don't spend enough time as a couple to figure it out? So I'm a great believer in postponing the actual date of the marriage and giving yourself time to explore who you both are because everyone brings their unique emotional baggage to a relationship. And when you spoke earlier about how, you know, sex and intimacy backs off it's it's that when the romance backs down intimacy often backs down but at the same time whatever emotional material you brought to the marriage from your primary family is going to start emerging in the relationship and and that's when the issues of criticism and control and codependence and all kinds of different things come to play in in the relationship. And so I think we would have written the same book. We started talking about the secrets way back in 2005 and 2006, and we knew what they were by 2007. And we were very, very clear because the secrets are based on developmental theory. And that's where John really leaned into my background is that developmental theory is simply this, what you needed as an infant and as a child, you still need as an adult. And so every one of the secrets is based on developmental theory, and it's uniquely important to your development and to who you are as a person. Oh, Jesus. Now, now I have like three follow-up questions <laughs> just to what you said. <laughs> Did you want to add something? Uh, I was going to add that if, if we had, I'll just add this point, which is if we, if we had written this book uh, a decade earlier or back when we first got together, see, we were together for a good 10 years before we got married. And if we had written this book when we first got together, I think it might have been a different book, uh, at least for, <laughs> my, for me, it would have been. So Anna said, she said, you know, we, we shouldn't get married yet. I did not like this plan. I was not <laughs> in favor of this plan. I, I was like, I am a let's get married right now because and she said you your material starts to come out. Well, I didn't have any material. <laughs> so I thought anyway I mean, it, it was she was so right and I was so wrong. We I needed that time to kind of unpack my own life and figure out what just happened in my first marriage. Cause I'd just come out of a dysfunctional marriage. What just happened here? Where, where did I was in a marriage where the sex disappeared by the way. And I was in a marriage where the intimacy disappeared. I was in a marriage where the, the, I don't think the love ever disappeared, but it sure became hard to find. It was hiding out somewhere. I don't know where. And so I needed time to kind of unpack all that and figure it out myself um, before, before stepping into this whole new chapter of what it means to be, to be married. So I'm so grateful to her that, uh, she said, she said, wait, and that I <sighs> did. So this is, this is a great point that you brought up and actually not something I even thought we were going to be talking about in this moment. But so you're basically saying that Anna, you're, advice was, you know, let's not get married right away. Let's take some time to get to know each other. And what I love about that is that's actually what we did too, only in the reverse. It, it was me uh, actually saying that. So Celine was like, yeah, let's move in right away. You know, like that, that was the big thing. It's like, she's like, let's move in right away. And I was yeah. actually okay with that until she just in a conversation said to me one day, 
I've never actually lived by myself. And I went, wait, what? You've never lived by yourself, like had your own uh, space. And, and, and she's like, no. She's like, I've always either, you know, lived with somebody or a roommate or my partner or whatever. And as soon as she said that, I went, okay, you need to live by yourself for a little while first. Because I, I knew that she needed to have that experience of what would it actually be like to be on your own, living on your own, having your own space, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And what do you say about that, Natalie? It's a great year I lived by myself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which was really more like about eight months, it I was think. Nine months. Nine months. <laughs> but we call it the great year. <laughs> yeah, we round up a little bit. <laughs> but I, I want to add one other thing to that, too, is around the same time that we got married, we had a bunch, actually, it was before we got married, mm -hmm. but within, you know, a year or two, whatever, um, we had a bunch of friends in our community circle who met and just got married immediately. Like one of them was so extreme. It was like they two met weeks. and two weeks later they were married. I Others, was so envious of like, look, all these people are doing it and we're not doing yeah. it yet. What? <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, there were probably what, at least four couples that yes. we knew that got married very, very suddenly out of those four. Well, if you include us five, uh, but we didn't get married very quickly, but getting married around that time. Out of those, <clears throat> ourselves and only one other couple are still together. And mm -hmm. five years mark, it just, yeah. And that was the back. thing is yeah. we watched that happen and we said, um... That's when I said you were right, Kevin. I'm glad is, we took our time. This is probably not going to go well. <laughs> and actually, you know, some of them were somewhat mutual. Some of them were outright disasters. Yeah. And, and so wow. I just, I, I kind of wanted to point that out, right? Because what, what we're discussing here really in the go-giver marriage and with you guys is how do you have a successful, happy, long-term relationship with yeah. healthy uh, sex lives? And I think maybe the first point that we've hit on here is take time to get to know each other. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's huge. I, I think that is so big and people underestimate it all the time. They rush to get into the marriage because that that romance in the beginning, it's just so tantalizing. The sex yeah. is incredible. It's never been better ever. You know, it's that kind of moment when you think that the world can never change, that this is the static feeling that you're going to be in for the rest of your life. And nothing could be more wrong than that. You know, you you actually do have a place where the honeymoon is over and where mundane everyday life, people lose their jobs, you know, stuff comes up, people get sick, you know, just things happen. And, you know, that's the journey of a marriage is that, you know, there will be ups and there will be downs <laughs> and you have to learn how to ride both and still stay in love and still have enough of a conversation going where you can get the intimacy to stay alive Because one of the things that we talk about in the book, in the back of the book, is that intimacy backs off, usually not by accident, but because there's a, there's a kind of pulling back, a kind of emotional separation that starts to happen after three, four, five years. And that's why they refer to the seven-year itch when all of a sudden someone's looking around at work and getting attracted to someone else. It's because they haven't worked on keeping the intimacy alive and whatever emotional material has been rising, whether it's one of them is very critical of the other, or there's kind of stonewalling or ways that they don't come together and, and stay joined as the us um, when they start to have quarrels. Um, there's so many ways that it can just come to this place where there's an impasse in the relationship and that's an impasse in the bedroom. Yeah. Ah, yes. So speaking of the bedroom, um, you know, you, you kind of talked about like the seven year itch thing. But, you know, our second question was like, according to the data, you know, how long how long into a relationship is it before people really start experiencing problems with sex and and intimacy, physical intimacy? You know, I don't know if either one of us could quote the research uh, on that accurately as much as to say that I find that it's the minute that I want to call it the crap or the SH or something starts to rise. Because when the, 
you know, when the negative behaviors that you brought with you to the relationship, but your partner never saw them when you were in romance, um, when they start to rise and enter the relationship, there's, there's sort of a cooling off period in the relationship. And that could be three years in, you know, some couples that get married right away, you know, they pop a baby within a year. And boy, add a baby to the mix. And now all of a sudden you're both sleepless. There's a lot of, of decisions to be made. Yeah. Are you even on the same page? I mean, I feel like people sometimes even find that there's a rude awakening around whether or not we're going to bring this child up with the same spiritual beliefs. You know, I've seen couples that it's like, wait a minute, no, I want to take them to church. No, I don't want you to take them to church. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, bigger human issues are at play and a division starts to happen. Um, you know, in the book, we call it the scorekeeper, but it's a bigger division than that. It's an emotional division. It's a way that, that you pull back in the relationship because you don't feel safe to express your needs and your feelings and whatever growing you need to do, either you're stuffing it down or your partner might be stuffing it down and you're not actually growing. I want to add to that that you know Anna mentioned earlier the seven year itch, you know the famous seven year itch, and and you know a lot of couples really year five, year six, year seven in the in the lead up to that time there's there's where affairs and and issues start to can start to crop up, but I'm shocked at how many couples find if I answer your question, how many couples find real sexual issues, sexual problems surfacing in the first year, you know sometimes within months after getting married. Um, it, it, and it's somewhat a function of age. If you're young enough, the hormones are, are the river of hormones. The current is strong enough to sweep you along. I can take you through a couple, through a couple of you know, a couple of pretty pretty sensual years, and kind of paper over issues. Um, but you know, mentioned getting pregnant. How many marriages? There's a child within the first year, and it's like, oh, now everything's changed both physically, hormonally, but also emotionally, because for the guy, all of a sudden now I'm sharing this house with two people, not just one. And the smaller and more powerful of, of, the, of the trio is boss, <laughs> you know, runs things. I don't like this. <laughs> no matter how enlightened a guy you are, it's a real adjustment. Everything's changed. Mm -hmm. Getting past that and back to a, a sort of a normal sex life or some kind of, of a consistent sexual rhythm, it takes some maturity and it takes communication. And that's often where you see things just start to break down right there because those so skills and those tools just aren't there. And men and women have different arousal um, timing. Um, men, I didn't are know that. <laughs> <laughs> men are often like, you know, they feel they have that moment of like, she's in really cute jeans today. Or her. You know, and ready. it's the arousal, arousal is very instant, and he's like ready to throw her on the kitchen floor. And she's saying, Well, you know, I've got to finish this email. And, you know, how about if we uh, make a cup of tea or have a glass of wine and, and have a little time on the patio to connect, and then we'll, and then we'll go to the bedroom? Tea? And he's going, Huh? <laughs> you know, well, um, because they're just in, you know, and, and neither is wrong. And, and that's what I really like to tell couples is that, you know, the fact that they're different is, is just a, is about the differences between men and women. Women really need to be emotionally warmed up before they're ready for that full-on arousal to hit. And it isn't about foreplay. It's about emotional connection. And so I think that a lot of couples, you know, their rhythms get off. You know, he comes home from work and, you know, the baby is asleep so he's like now we got to go do it now and you know she's saying i have dinner on the stove you know it's like the baby's going to wake up any minute you know there's just all these ways that they they're kind of missing the opportunity to connect i in the book we talk about it in in terms of making it a gift because i think that when especially women decide to make sex a gift then and, and something that they're being generous about, then they're absolutely giving their spouse the clear clues of when this is going to happen so that there's not any ambiguity about that. Yeah, I think a huge part really is 
having the understanding, the awareness that we are actually different. And in our modern society, every message that we're getting now is there's no difference between men and women. They're exactly the same. We don't even need to uh, uh, make the point that there are two different sexes. Let's just make everything all the same, right? And that really does us uh, an, an injustice because we are different. We absolutely are different. And what happens is when we're not aware of those differences, we start to build up resentments because like, well, why doesn't she want to? And then she's like, why does he always want to? You know, because we don't understand that we are different. But if you have that awareness, then you can figure out strategies in order to meet both of your needs. So that kind of leads us to, and you've already started to allude to that, but what are some of the common mistakes people may make that leads to that place of having either no sex or very little sex. So we know the communication piece, right? That's like not really working, not understanding that we have different needs. But what else is there? What do you see as the common mistakes for people to be like, okay, let's watch out? <laughs> I think one, one really common thing, and this is kind of broad as an answer, but it's also very specific, which is, um, you know, we had this model where we talk about the us, which is that the, there's me and there's you, two circles, and when they overlap, because we're living together, like a Venn diagram, that overlap section is, is like a third being. It's called the us. It, it's, you could say it's our team. It's, it's team us. Good, it's team Kevin and Sela. That's what we've you know? been saying since we got together. Yeah. Team us. Oh, good. We, <laughs> are, <laughs> like, we are of like mind. That's so cool. <laughs> I love it. So, um, it. When stress arises or conflict arises, there is this natural tendency to break off and go to our, our separate corners. And that can show up as, you know, being critical, being aggressive, but it can also show up as being defensive. Like, well, I didn't mean anything, but why are you getting so upset? What, what, what did I do? The moment you get either critical or, or, you know, aggressive or defensive, either way, you immediately and automatically separate from the us. And uh, what happens is, you know, you start thinking, in terms of right and wrong, who's right and who's wrong? If I'm right, she's wrong. And if she's right, I'm wrong. Uh, and, and and that's where I want to refer to the scorecard. The scorecard starts coming up. And all of these, these kind of natural human sort of fight or flight adrenaline-fueled behaviors, uh, cortisone-fueled behaviors, they put us in our separate corners. So we're no longer on the same team. We're on separate teams. And that can be as simple as a little argument about the car or about the checkbook or about the dinner or about the movie we're going to watch tonight. Simple things. In fact, it usually is dirt, stupid, simple things. Or it can be arguments about something bigger. Um, you never like my mom. I love your mom. What are you, what are you getting on me for? Whatever the, 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 the topic is, it doesn't matter. The dynamic is what matters. The dynamic is we're going in each in our own teams. When you're separated on your own teams, you can't communicate. You've lost contact. You can't have intimacy if you don't have communication and contact. And so that is going to translate into the bedroom. Once you get into the bedroom, you, the fight may be, may be behind you. You may have let, let the argument go. But that residual dynamic of we're, we're on separate teams comes in. And now you're sitting on opposite sides of the bed going, you know, what does she want? What does he want? Where are we going? What do I need to it, it, you're guessing what the other person wants. You're guessing where the other person is because you're not communicating. And there's this weird thing that people do uh, often where they think that they should somehow automatically know where the other person's at. <laughs> this comes up especially in sex, although it happens in other things too. It's like, I should know what she wants, what he wants. How? How would that be? They're a different person. Sweetheart. And I, I want to add two specific things that couples should watch out for. Two very specific. One is um, criticism, and mm. the other is the other is control. Now, each secret has its opposite, and both of those, criticism and control, are the opposite of two of the secrets in the book. In the bedroom. And and in the bedroom, those are really dangerous. <laughs> but out of the bedroom, they're really five or six things a day to criticize your partner about, you know, I mean, oh, you left your socks on the floor again. Oh, why can you never wipe off the counter? Yes. You know, as a, as a man, I have to say there is nothing that is worse for us than criticism. 
criticism, <laughs> like, you know, you, you made a valid point earlier, which is like, you know, oh, she's got tight jeans on, like, let's go. Nothing will kill that faster than just one piece of criticism. And <laughs> it's so true. And, you know, the thing is, for most men, I, there are some men, I'm sure, that just aren't, aren't trying real hard. So, you know, we're not talking about them. But for your average man, we do try really hard in relationships yes. in our own way. Right? Yes. And our way might be different than what she wants, per se, but we are trying. We're doing lots of little things that we think are the right things to do. <laughs> and so when we hear criticism, we're like, what about all these things I've been doing, right? It just, <laughs> it, it's like someone just took a pin and burst our balloon. And it, it, is, the, it is such a killer to a relationship. And, and we frequently say that, um, you know, men are dogs and women are cats. And, you know, it's a joke between us, but, you know, men are like great Labradors. They just want to do a good job. They really do. They want to fix your problems. They want to take care of whatever it is that's in the way and just do a good job, you know, whether they're a great breadwinner or whatever right. it is. And women are definitely more emotionally complex. And so they are the cat who's like flickering its tail, but kind of moving in different directions around the room. Uh, and so, yes, criticism is a total killer of intimacy, but it's also one of the number one things that actually makes marriages end. If you are in a pattern of <clears throat> continual criticism, you will kill your marriage within five to six years because nobody wants to live with somebody who beats them down day and night. Yeah. By the way, you know, by the way, in our book, we talk about the, the four deadliest words in marriage. I love you, but... I love you, but here are the ways I'd like you to be different. We don't say this, but here are the five deadliest words to the bedroom from a guy's standpoint. You're not doing it right. <laughs> you know, I can promise you, you know, you say if criticism is, is, is a love killer, is a buzz killer, man, you're not doing it right is the ultimate buzz killer because <laughs> suddenly now I, I'm only a remote control device. You're actually the one, you know, operating, operating this, this, uh, this performance here. <laughs> and that's just, you know, you can't, you can't function that way. So I, it's you know, one of the secrets, you know, for us in the bedroom is, uh, is never, we have an unwritten rule. Uh, that's why it's not in the book. We didn't write it. It's unwritten. Uh, never tell, tell the guy you're not doing it right. Let him find out. Or, or her, or her too. Or her too, or her too, either one, in, either in one. In fact, you know, when I'm coaching people or talking to people and they say, yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't know where it is, yeah. you know, referring to a specific part of their anatomy. And it's like, well, why do you think he's not finding it? And they're like, because he's just not looking. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, you know, that's why you were given a voice is, is not to be able to point out or tell him what's going on, but rather to make the appropriate noises Clues. When he's doing anything that is pleasurable, yeah. give him feedback because everybody needs feedback. Everybody wants to their partner to have that look on their face or that, you know, those vocals coming out of them. All right. You so know. the next time you have a, a client who says he doesn't know where it is, send them to us because this is what we do. We teach them the anatomy. We teach them <laughs> how to find it all. But we also teach them. I love the point that you, you brought up, which is visual acuity. And it's not just visual, it's auditory as well, yeah. but it's paying yeah. attention to all those signs. Are her cheeks flushed? Are her eyes big? Is she making noises? What kind of noises? Is yes. she wincing because it hurts a little bit? All of those little things. And even if he is an absolute expert on all of those things, still, she should be saying things like, you know what? I would really love it if you did this. As opposed to, you're not doing it right, or don't do it that way, right? It's like, you know what? I really love it when you do this thing, right? Because that's, that's you speaking oh. up and asking for what you want. Because you mentioned before, people should just know. <laughs> no, we yeah. shouldn't just know, right? We're right. not Jedi mind readers. We can't go, oh, I know what he's thinking. These are not the droids you're looking for, right? We Most of us do not have that ability, right? So we need to actually speak up and communicate. Exactly. And, and you, you bring up a great point in just the everyday of a relationship as well, which is um, if you're in the middle of a fight, there's language that you can use to say, I'm flooded right now. 
and I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. Can we stop for, for 10 minutes and just, I, I just need to take a walk around the block and think about where I'm at and think about my own behavior because I really want to make this work with you. And just to give each other those breaks or to use words like, you know, when you do this, it makes me feel this way. Instead of saying, you always do that. Oh, you, you know, never. It's like exactly, exactly. There's so never many right. ways. That, and, and so what you're describing is really emotional intelligence. And you were describing it really well. And in the bedroom, emotional intel- intelligence is a golden thing. Because you know always that you're safe. And that's a really big thing in the bedroom. Is that safety, that sense that, you know, I'm not going to get criticized in the middle of this action. <laughs> that's a huge one <laughs> like that fear yeah. of like I mean I, I see that a lot like you want to do it right but then you're so afraid that it's not going to do go well and then you hold back and then nobody shows up as their best and nobody's willing to try something new and then it kind of becomes stale and then it's like well he's not finding the right things and it's like she's not trying this new thing it's like yeah but nobody is really communicating that's about why it. we always tell couples don't be afraid to fail in the bedroom don't be afraid to try new things yeah. and make mistakes we've tried stuff that were absolute <laughs> failures and then we ended up rolling on the bed laughing about it like that yeah, did not yeah, work yeah. at all <laughs> better in the book the drawing yeah, yeah. 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 what we did it made sense <laughs> on paper it was good on paper that's right <laughs> We and completely the, and, understand. And by the same token, I want to say by the same token, the positive feedback, I mean, 20 years later, 30 years later, it's still incredible to hear Anna say, I loved that. That was great. That time today was just was just lovely. You know, you can't get enough of that. Mm-hmm. Anna talks about this thing, you know, primary narcissism, the, the need of the, of the child, of the infant to be cooed over and praised over and told how cute they are and how smart they are and how strong they are and, and how that never goes away. We, we, we each have a little boy or little girl inside us who still needs to be told, look at you. You read that whole book by yourself. Wow, you are so strong. Oh, you're. And so, you know, to say that thing, that our time earlier today, that was wonderful. I just really enjoyed that. That is going to make you light up 50 years from now. It's still going to make you light up. It's just it never goes away. Okay, so we are going to talk a little bit more about your secrets after 25 years in just a minute. But first, we're going to take a quick break <laughs> for our sponsor. Then we're going to come back because I want to know more about what you were just telling us. <laughs> so this is for all of you listeners who are a committed couple who feels stuck in a rut and just going through the daily motions instead of connecting the way you used to. If you're tired of stale mechanical sex that like spontaneity and fun and you don't want to live a life of average, then Kevin and I would like to invite you to join a highly sexed power couple platinum program if you give us 90 days we will help you bring the passion back between the sheets and be synced up sexually so that you can thrive with more purpose and passion in life and you'll get all of the skills that we are talking about today with john and anna and just beyond just the techniques but the communication and the foundation to keep it juicy so go to celineremy.com forward slash passion if you want to learn more about this program All right, so I want to talk about kind of your secret sauce of still acting and being like newlywed after 25 years of marriage. And I also want to point out for all the people who are listening and not watching the video that um, you guys are older and yet you are still having sex because many people think like once you hit 50 or 60, ain't happening no more. <laughs> so you're here to say that it's not true <laughs> and we're going to dive into that. So let us know more about your secret sauce and that we can still have sex when we are older. That's correct. <laughs> right. It's so true. Oh, man. You know, it's there's this thing um, that when, when people ask us that, what's your secret sauce? The simplest and clearest answer we've always had is we both approach our relationship with what we call a spirit of generosity. The spirit of generosity is I'm thinking about her. So my focus is on how can I make her day a little better? How can I make her life a little better? What can I do to brighten her day? And I want to be really clear about this. I'm not talking about the self-denial martyr kind of thing <laughs> where I suppress what I want to give her what she wants and become her slave and toady and debase <laughs> myself on the floor. It's not like that. We're talking about living with a focus on the other person just because you love them, just because it makes sense, just because you want to. And what happens is, it's like karma. 
It's like a boomerang. It comes back and floods all over you. Good stuff. And the way we express it as a Pindar in the Go-Giver books is the Pindar principle. When you give more, you have more. It's kind of that simple. When we approach our, our everyday lives like that, we're always thinking of each other and it's, it's a simple thing to do. The same principle applies in the bedroom. And here, here for me is the, is the is secret for performance anxiety. A lot of men have this issue like, uh-oh, you know, my performance anxiety. You know, we have a certain kind of anatomy that, that depends on cooperation and, and it doesn't always cooperate. So there's this performance anxiety, right? Um, the, the years ago, an amazing speaking coach told me the secret to giving a good public talk is when you stand up on stage, instead of thinking, how am I looking? How am I doing? Am I all buttoned up? Okay, am I all set? Now, what was I going to say again? Let me rehearse the free lines of my speech. Instead of doing that, which will make you anxious as hell, instead think, who are all these people out here in this audience? What can I do that will serve their day? What do I have to offer them that will make their day a little brighter? Put your focus on the audience. You're going to deliver a much better talk. That works in bed. You put your focus on her saying, how can I bring her pleasure? How can I give her a wonderful time? How can I make her day just shine a little bit? And when you, you can't think about two things at once. <laughs> Mind can't do that. So when your focus is on her, you don't have the anxiety because there's not time for it. That's where your focus is. It is remarkable how that can take performance anxiety Make it go away. And I'm sure it works in reverse the other way with the genders. But since I'm not a woman, I can't explain that part. <laughs> and what I will add to that is that um, the thing that happens to older couples is that they, they get in that long impasse. We call it the, the long, slow freeze. Yeah. They get in that place where they've become roommates. Maybe one of them has arthritis. You know, stuff is there. But I find that and, and there's a real uh, hormone back off after menopause and menopause happens for both men and women. Yep. Men too. Yep. Changes. So when the hormones back off, that's why men need Viagra or there's, there's performance issues after 50 is that their hormones have backed off and they don't have the same quick arousal and it takes maybe a little more energy. Um, but there's also, you know, when there's that spirit of generosity, when you have, really paid attention to keeping the intimacy alive in the relationship so there's there's like it's beyond loving them you like them um mm. it's really powerful and when i say that spirit of generosity and i say this to women um, but i also say it to men because i've met just as many men that are 60 that are saying i'm not really in the mood tonight you know, I mean, it's really shocking to me. It seems like the the tape or, or the narrative that our culture says is that it's always women that are doing that, but it's not. It's men and women. But if sex is a gift, then make it make it a gift and make certain, just like you might have had a date night early on in your relationship, make sure that you have days of the week that are absolutely designated days that you're going to have intimacy. And don't yes. let the days slip by without it. Make sure that you that you get there. And no matter what's going on, I mean, I have a client who's in the middle of a hip replacement and she cannot she cannot positionally get in the position that she would like to get in with her husband. So I was like, well, what what's wrong with making this uh, Sunday or this Saturday or whatever day they they have designated? What's wrong with making that the day that you're going to just pleasure him for an hour? And she was like, yeah. You know, because she hadn't thought of it that way. She felt because she wasn't functional. Has to be a certain way. Yeah. That it wasn't going to work. So it's like, you know, there's so many ways you can gift your partner with a massage, with all kinds of, of things that are just a total turn on. Oh, there's so much, too, that I was going to say, um, you know, I was aware quickly talking about the hormones to, to for people to realize that as women go through menopause, their estrogen level goes down, but then their um, testosterone goes higher. So men tend to, sorry, women tend to be more like men later on in life. This is why they do want to fuck. This is why they're more free and they're like, yes, I'm open. 
while men, while they go through andropause, their testosterone goes lower, but their estrogen counts is higher. And a lot of men need more touch and connection and intimacy. Like before they needed a hole. Now they really need a heart. <laughs> and this is where people don't always get it because you kind of reversed sometimes for people. Mm. But as women, if we've gone through this, we're like, now we can get it. Okay, I used to take 25 minutes. So it's okay if I give him 25 minutes to get a heart on. Like I don't have to expect it in 25 five seconds so that's just kind of like a little side note that i wanted to bring in since you mentioned that about the hormones that understanding um but i yeah. also think that the place of giving and i'm going to be the devil's advocate here <laughs> because i really really exactly <laughs> i love i i totally agree with like it is one of the tips that we always give people give more than you take but We meet a lot of men, and it's mostly men in that, uh, I'm going to be honest, that I say, but I'm a giver. I just focus on her pleasure. But the giving that they think is giving is taking. <clears throat> and they're doing something because they're doing it kind of for themselves, or they want something out of what they're doing, and it's not true giving. <clears throat> so I don't know if you have a clarification, around, especially in the bedroom, because like I gave her oral sex, I did that, but really she wanted a shoulder rub, or she wanted a shoulder to cry on, you know? And so they're like, well, I'm giving, or I'm giving because I want her to do this particular ending, and it's not happening. So what's your take on that, and can you clarify the giving so that we don't get into that fake giving, aka taking? I love that. That is so great. Thank you. Yeah, that is that's, such a that's great point. A huge insight. You know, it, it kind of goes back to what Kevin was saying earlier about, you know, if you pay attention to her, 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 the flush in her skin, to where her eyes are doing, her breathing. It's, it's about paying attention to the other person. And I mean, you're so right. There is this kind of giving. And you see it in business, too. People think, you know, I did him a favor. Now he owes me something. In fact, <laughs> I did the favor so that he would owe me something. That's the reason I did the favor. I didn't want to get the favor. That's not giving. That's that's negotiating. That's like a transaction. Mm -hmm. Now your relationship has become transactional because you're saying, so I'm going to give her this oral sex. I'm going to give her this great. I'm going to do those the great stuff because, like, you know, now I'm I'm really I'm racking up the the credits on my yeah. on my emotional bank account. And I expect some pretty good hot stuff here. Yeah. Now she owes me. <laughs> now she owes me. That's not giving. That's trying. That's trying to 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 tilt the scorecard in your favor. And the difference, the very simple difference, the difference is, am I paying attention to her? Is it about her? There's a, um, there's a, uh, a woman in a, a character in our book who is, who is talking about her, her former marriage, she's now divorced, and about her first husband was always giving her gifts, and he would give her gold jewelry. And the problem was she didn't like gold jewelry. She liked silver jewelry. But he didn't know that. Because he never really looked. He never really paid attention. That's kind of the, a version of what you're talking about. Um, giving isn't just giving. It starts with paying attention. That's one of our five secrets, That's, paying attention. That is a mastery secret in relationship for men who are listening. Yeah. Pay attention to the details. The details that seem so small and trivial to you matter to her immensely. <laughs> Pay attention to the details. Can't say that enough. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm underlining that in my mind. That's right. And it's, it's also true for men. I mean, for women. And, and that is that, um, okay, so if you haven't, you know, if you have lingerie that's been in your, in your drawer for years, but you haven't been wearing it, and you know it's particularly a turn-on for your husband, then what part of you is not going to, you know, actually use it, you know, put it to use? Because, it, you know, it, it could just, and it can even be the way that you let him know that, that when is now. You know, it's like when you walk through the room in that particularly sexy pair of underwear, you know, he's going to go, huh? And, you know, when he does, you know, you can always say, you know, I know you've been editing all day long, but you should put that book down and just walk out. You know, he's I mean, not talking I, about anybody in particular, by the way. He's no, just no, using no. an example. Exactly. <laughs> but the point is that, you know, don't stop flirting with your husband because men love to be flirted with. And because it's a powerful thing going both directions. I mean, another client um, that's, that's quoted in the back of our book is a woman who as her husband was taking six little boys to soccer and he, the kids were all in the car. So he's walking out the door and as he walked away from her, she said, have I told you lately that you have the cutest butt and blue jeans? And um, 
you know, he turned around and he looked at her and he goes, yeah, well, it's even cuter out of blue jeans. <laughs> and, she, and without missing a beat, she said, consider that a date, buddy. And, but it was like this beautiful way that they used appreciation to flirt with each other. Yes, yes, yes. Appreciation that is huge. We talk about it a lot on this show. <laughs> okay, so we're, well, we're secret number one. Appreciation <laughs> is secret number one in the in the in the book, and, and its opposite is criticism. And mm. would you say that that would be the first step, the first thing that people could focus on if they now like, okay, they're seeing that they're going down the wrong road, that they're doing a lot of criticism, they recognize themselves in some of the things you've described. What would you say um, their first step? you know, would be? Is that that's the appreciation or you have something else? I'm just going to say appreciation because that's one of the first things to go. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we stop saying it. Yeah. You know, when you're first in love, you can't say it enough. You say it you know, 24 hours a day, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, you're amazing. <laughs> but then at the moment, stre- the moment stress happens and life gets busy, it's the first thing we lose. We mm-hmm. start to just take it for granted and go through the motions and stop saying, you're gorgeous. I mean, you just take my breath away. If you can't say that after 25, 30, 40, 50 years, get back in the mindset where you can, because that's we all, the need for that never goes away. And don't stop kissing. Kissing is extremely sexy. Kissing I mean, is the best. Extremely sexy. I mean, oh, so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, women unwrap for, for kissing. And I don't think a lot of men realize that sometimes. Badly underestimated. Yeah. I mean, I it's like. That. I badly I have, underestimated that for a long time. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so powerful. I, I have interviewed hundreds and hundreds of women about this topic. And some of them will say, kissing ahead of oral sex any day of the week. And when I, as, when I say to them, does he even know that? And they're like, no, he thinks oral sex is king. But, you know, it's like. It's, it's really about if that same point you just made, which is pay attention to the details. Pay attention to the little things and talk about it. Have honest conversations. What do you love? What do you love when I do this or that? Do you love that? Or, or is there something else I do that you love more? Mm-hmm. And, and make sure you phrase that, not in the way of what am I doing wrong, <laughs> but what am I doing right? Exactly. Yeah, yes. What can I do more how can, we, how can we take this to the next level? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we're getting down to the end of the time that we have for this episode. <laughs> I, want, I just wanted to say one last thing about your book, and then, of course, we have one last question for you. Um, I just wanted to say that I actually really appreciated reading this book because it was rather different than most of the books we read, and we read a lot of books on relationship. Um, what I loved about it was the way that it was, like you said, sort of split, right? So you have your, your sort of fiction side where you get to basically read a story and then you have your more scientific side where you get the details and the facts. And maybe it's just me because I'm like a Gemini and I like use both sides of my brain pretty evenly, <laughs> but I, I really appreciated that. Like I, 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 cause I don't, trust me, I don't read any fiction. Like I read, I don't even know how many books a year, like stacks of books a year. <laughs> All nonfiction, one hundred percent. I think I've read maybe three fiction books in my life. Like, <laughs> I just you know, give me a scientific book full of data, I'm all over it, right? But I really enjoyed the first part of the book, the stories oh. of it, and I actually found it quite touching because a lot of it reminded me of us and the things that we do, and mm. so I thought that was great. And of course, you know, the second half of the book is is sort of my home place where I normally feel comfortable. <laughs> Your so happy that, place, yeah. So that was great too. So I, I thought it was well done. It was a different take on giving people some really great classic advice. So oh, thank you so much. Where can people go if they want to have the go give a marriage? If they want to learn more about the five secrets, they've already gotten a couple of the secrets today. But if they want more, uh, where can they find you and your books? You can find us on gogivermarriage.com. That's our website. And um, in terms of learning more about the five secrets, we actually offer Zoom um, teachings, which are, it's a class called the living the five secrets to lasting love. 
And we have them every month, several times a month. And so you can register. It's up to 30 people in a Zoom room. And you can register. We go a deep dive into the five secrets. And then we spend a lot of time, over an hour, hour and a half, interacting with the people in the room about what's going on in their relationships. So it's a very, very deep dive into the book. And uh, entry includes a copy of the book. So um, you can sign up, uh, you can order the book anywhere. You can order it on our website. You can order it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any indie bookstore. Um, but you can also, um, if you want to be a coach, we also have our coaching program, which starts this coming fall. All right. All right. The go-giver, gogivermarriage.com and all the links will be in the description below. And now we are coming on to our very last question, which is one of my favorites. And you're each going to have to take a turn and you can choose who goes first. But we want to know, John and Anna, what is your best sexual talent? <laughs> I wonder which one of us will go first with this. You. I think probably, oh, me. Oh, now I, have, now I have to think really fast. Um, <laughs> I think we should both tell for the other. You do oh, the way you want. Sometimes couples Interesting. do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you, okay, I'll do that. I'll do your, your, I think your best talent is, is your utter honesty, honesty and authenticity. It's just, I never, I never, I never have the slightest hint of a question of whether you're playing games or, or hiding out or not telling me the whole truth or whatever. Just, you see, you're so honest. I just, I just love that. So there you go. And um, John's strength is that he is a total giver in the bedroom. I mean, it's so palpable and powerful and a total giver in life. I mean, he really adds value to my life every single day. I mean, he delivers me a cup of tea every morning at 7 a.m. on the bedside table before I even sit up. So, you know, it's like when you are generous in that kind of way in the bedroom, there's nothing that isn't just exquisite and amazing. All right. Great answers. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time that we have for this episode, but we want to thank you guys both for coming on the show. I had in my head, well, we even skipped a couple questions on, on the list and I had so many follow-ups, but they're just, there's only so much time in a podcast. So we did the best we could. We covered as much as we could. Uh, if you want more, for sure, go check out their book. And thank you, John and Anna, for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much. It was a great conversation. Thank you. <laughs> all right, everybody, that's all the time we have for this episode, and we will see you next week. We hope you like this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free, exclusive content, join us in the Passion Vault at CelineRemy.com forward slash vault. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y dot com forward slash vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing. <laughs>